electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. All right, welcome to the Big Show Fast Money. Right now, we've got an energy war. It's Russia's oil and gas battle with Europe, casting a long economic shadow across the European Union and around the world. The market shock, the ripple effects, and the political endgame. That's coming up straight ahead. Plus, Netflix and Chilled, shares of the streaming giant, along with a host of other media companies falling hard today. A look at why the sector is sliding. And then later on in the show, revving up an IPO for Porsche. A stock price that's stretching higher and higher at Lulu and a countdown to Apple's very big reveal all coming up. Those three stocks you can see on your board. I'm Dominic Chu in from Melissa Lee tonight. This is Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site on the desk next to me. It's Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Guy Adami and then Dan Nathan out at the Code Conference in Southern California. We will start with another down day for the markets overall with the Nasdaq posting its seventh consecutive day of declines. That's the longest losing streak since 2016, by the way. The Dow giving up a gain of nearly 150 points at its highs and then closing down more than 170 points, as you can see there. The S&P now nearly 10 percent off its August highs. Meanwhile, the yield on 10-year Treasury notes soared to the highest level in nearly three months. You can see right now 10-year note yields 3.36 percent or thereabouts. The 30-year at 3.51 at its highest since 2014. That is new economic data suggested the Fed may need to continue its rate hike agenda. And this as the energy crisis in Europe threatens to bleed into other markets as well. So are the clouds overhanging the markets only going to get darker, darker, dimmer, Mm. like they are outside in New York City right now from here? Tim. Well, first of all, Dom, welcome. And it's certainly a brighter day here in the NASDAQ with you here. And, and, you know, you mentioned that seven-day rule or what's been going on for the last seven days. Note. Seven days ago, Jerome Powell spoke, reset the bar on both Fed expectations and on interest rates. Uh, we've layered in a Russian, let's hold off on Nord Stream, let's actually put an energy crisis front and center. And, and we've had central banks around the world raising, and if anything, we've got an ECB on Friday that may even move slightly ahead of the Fed. And you know, people are starting to evaluate where you could even start to have a sovereign credit dynamic in Europe. So um, all of this at a time when we really haven't heard much in terms of demand and S&P earnings. And in fact, we talked about that. The second quarter earnings were almost too good. I will lean back on, I think sentiment is awful. I think positioning in the, in the professional community means incredibly light, cashed up, also record shorts, or at least close to record shorts in NASDAQ and even in triple Qs. So people are prepared for this, but frankly, it's tough to see where those stormy clouds uh, don't you know, don't don't get out of here. I mean, I think they're here. You know, Karen, I mean, Tim brings up an excellent point about this because it was very clear when the sentiment changed and it was Jackson Hole. It was that morning, Fed Chair Jerome Powell making those comments about being aggressive with inflation. And it's been bad sentiment ever since. But it's less bad than it was in the two days or three days around that Jackson Hole conference. Does it mean that people are getting a little bit more comfortable with the idea this is a revaluation? Or do we really feel like this is going to be one of those retests of the lows again? I don't know. We don't know till after. But I agree with you. Although to all of us on this desk, it wasn't a surprise that he came out hawkish 
What was surprising was that the market was shocked, shocked by the hawkishness. And yet, I think he didn't give a message to that was at all the pivot that people ran into. So um, I feel like, you know, I'm normally kind of cautious today. I actually have some sure. puts. I sold them. I actually bought some things. I mean, is the, you know, I always say it's always darkest right after the time it was the darkest up until then. But, <laughs> wow. However, I like that. At some what about the dawn? Point, what? What about the dawn? The I thought dawn it was may come the dawn. at some point. <laughs> and I think, you know, I looked at. Okay. All right. I think my mic is. Dead. No, you're still good. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. It's it's it's. I think we're all right still, right? I hear it no, loud no, and clear. I'm sitting next to her. I mean, all right, of course. No. Okay, so so guy, if if that's the situation right now, if we have a, if we have a notion where this is going to be one of those hey darkest before the dawn type moments, it doesn't feel kind of like it's the darkest before dawn no. level at this point. No, the panic to me over the last uh, six months, basically since November, the panic that I've seen has been to the upside. There haven't been days where it felt like panic selling to me. Now maybe it's my dog. Talking, I don't think it is. The sell-offs have been orderly. So to Tim's point, you know, I don't think we've seen anything that appears to be capitulation. And in terms of the storm clouds getting darker, I don't know if they'll get darker. I just think they're going to hang around a lot longer, to Karen's point. They're going to be here for a while. And I think Karen made the point that nobody believed the Fed. We're so conditioned to thinking they're going to come to our rescue, our rescue being the market, that we believe, you know what, it's just going to happen again. It's not going to happen this time. They have bigger fish to fry, and I think the market's going to be collateral damage, unfortunately. Now, Dan, the, 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 the kind of where the rubber meets the road on many of these particular moves that we've seen predominantly to the downside have been a lot in those high growth areas, right? The ones over the last, say, 10 or 12 yeah. years that have led the market higher. We're talking Netflix, we're talking Microsoft and yeah. Apple and Alphabet and those meta platforms formerly known as Facebook. So what exactly does that then say about what the leadership could like, yeah. look like if, there, if there's any leadership at all? Yeah, I, Dom, it's a great point. I think you have to segregate those prior leaders. Some of those smaller names that you mentioned, even like, you know, a Netflix, even a Meta now that was, you know, a $900 billion market cap a year ago is now, you know, 400 or so. And I think you really want to focus on, you know, the, the four big ones, right? And then look at Apple, you know, it's still 20% off of its lows that it made over the summer here. But Microsoft and Alphabet are only about 5%. They are really threatening to retest the those summer lows. And so we're going to spend some time on this Apple event tomorrow. We know that people get a little bit excited about these new product offerings. If it's just iterative, which we've all become very used to, you know, might Apple accelerate to the downside? Mike Santoli just said it in the OT. Sometimes it could be used as a source of funds. That's a two and a half trillion dollar market cap company that has massively outperformed almost every mega cap tech name. So again, I know this sounds, um, you know, I, I, it gets a little old. I think the the, the stock market in the near term really is in Apple's hands because there's not a lot of great relative strength. All right, if you're telling me energy stocks still act well, fine. Utilities, fine. Seems a bit defensive yeah. to me, and it's not the sort of thing you want to lean into if you're playing for a bottom after this little sell-off that we've had over the last call, call it a couple weeks or so. Source of funds is interesting, Karen, because I'm told now that, that we have your microphones back, okay. even though we could all hear her. Right. I guess maybe, maybe the viewing audience and listening audience on Sirius X Channel 112 couldn't. But okay, so the Apple thing is interesting because in addition to being, you could argue, the most important stock in the market because it's the biggest with the most waiting, yada, 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 mm -hmm. it was also a massive run from the June lows that Apple has made up until now. So right. if you've kind of got in at the right time and this is giving you some profits to take, 
Is there a reason why Apple doesn't then become kind of like that canary in the coal mine, so to speak, or the tea leaf about what, what's going to happen in the future? Or the ATM, I guess, for people to... I, I don't know. I mean, we talked about Apple. I think Carter made an excellent call. at I think it was 170, maybe, mm-hmm. where he said, that's it. That's the top for Apple. So we're down, I don't know, what, almost 10%-ish from there. I am long Apple. I'm not going to sell it here to try to buy it cheaper, because uh, then you got to make the right decision twice. Sell it right buy it right back. I know I'm going to be incapable of doing that, but it is a bellwether for the for the market. You know, it's, it's obviously giant. And if it goes down, we're going to go down further. But I feel like I feel like a bottom is in sight. Europe, I thought, would get crushed over the week uh, over the weekend into today. And it didn't, especially it, with those net gas prices. Exactly. Like Nord Stream, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I think maybe, Guy, if, if you have this all of these things are kind of pent up, right? It's the classic cliche in the markets, wall of worries, everything else, brick in here and you know, brick there. Mm-hmm. If all of these things are happening right now and the markets are seemingly not in panic mode, right? Mm-hmm. There's no, no capitulation. Things are drifting lower. Does this then maybe perhaps even bode well for the idea that this is a revaluation taking place and not a flush out? given the fact that we kind of understand higher interest rates are going to be here, economies are going to slow down, and people are going to change their models, assuming higher risk-free rates and everything else. And this is just the way that it's playing out. Not panic, just down. Yeah, that's the half-full scenario with that question, and I understand that. I'm inclined to be the half-empty person and say, that's actually probably what you just described is not a good thing. It's probably a bad thing because there's going to be this capitulation moment yet to come, which I think is going to happen. I don't know what the catalyst would be. It might be Apple. It might be some pre-announcement out of Apple. Hey, the demand that we thought we'd see is not there. I'm not suggesting that's it, but something's going to happen to next leg lower. So that scenario is best case. I just don't see it happening. And can I just add one thing? Yes. Oh, sorry. To just the VIX. The VIX should be. Yeah. I would want to see be, it much and, higher. And, and, I know that's, that's something Tim actually. Yeah. Yes, I, I was gonna, I'm, I'm going to bring that, and we got another conversation happening in just a couple of minutes, but that's going to be a point that a lot of traders have made to me in kind of commentary on the sidelines, is that what's going on? The VIX is nowhere near where it should be if this is going to be something where things are kind of, but that also means that it could go a lot worse. Well, right especially when the biggest markets in the world, Guy talks about treasury markets. How about currency markets? How about anyone? Mm-hmm. I know people don't, our audience don't really look at dollar yen too often. Oh, no, we're going to get there. Falling for sure. out of bed and indicating that there's a total breakdown. And we know that the BOJ has been an outlier. But the, the, cur- the currency markets are also telling you again, we have two, three standard deviation moments in the biggest asset classes in the world. Equities aren't really responding in a way that they might. And again, I hate to sound like guys glass half empty, um, but it's, it's, but there it, could be it's a not a bad-looking glass right now. There could be a right catch-up now. trade, right? Yeah. Because, you know, to Karen's point, where you did see the drama play out from the European side of things was certainly in the currency markets, right? You got British pounds and euros sinking against the U.S. dollar. And a 5 to 10% move in a currency, it may not seem like a lot for no, Apple it's stock. It's massive when it comes to the currency markets. And so. a stronger dollar is only putting more pressure on most of the S&P right now. Yeah, and the just, multinationals. It's, for it's sure. helping the Fed, though. Okay, so let's, let's take this to the next chapter, right? Our next guest believes there is a 50-50 shot that we have a new bear market low coming up in the coming weeks. He's Julian Emanuel. He's the senior managing director at Evercore ISI. He's been on the show. He's a regular. So, Julian, this is the conversation that you've been listening to around the table. This somewhat tilted pessimistically. And you're saying there's a 50-50 shot of new lows in sight. Well, Why? Well, first of all, because if you think about it, the market spent June, July, and half of August fighting the Fed successfully. Okay? 
But part of the reason Jackson Hole was so jarring, first of all, it was like an eight-minute drop the mic. You're never going to hear him probably be more hawkish than that soundbite, is because it, it became clear that after that kind of rally, and the Fed is not targeting stock prices, by the way. The Fed is targeting financial conditions. They got too loose. Okay, that could change if the data begin to move in their direction. The problem with today is the data move towards a stronger uh, sort of direction. But I want to go back to a comment that Karen made a few moments ago. You know, buying it right, selling it right, multi decisions. If you look at the last five or six weeks, the whipsaw to the upside and then to the downside was really unprecedented, only four times since 1950. And actually, the data shows that it was so extreme that sentiment is, is as poor that we may not make a new low, okay? Our base case is that you're going to have more volatility September and October, probably grind lower, and then ultimately we're going to look ahead to the first half of 23 where the Fed may go on hold. So, so Julian, you, you kind of heard us mentioning some of the stocks that are kind of in focus right now, either as bellwethers or indicators of what could lie ahead. In your mind, in that kind of environment where you could maybe test the lows coming up, you maybe have a shot to the upside, where do you put the money then? What types of companies do you look at? Do you look at it by sector? Do you look at it by growth versus value? What are the factors that go into then the, the stocks that you think outperform? So, so we, again, and, and make no bones about it, we all agree this is a defensive environment. In that kind of environment, uh, we're tilting towards value, no question about it, because even though value's worked over the last year and a half, it's still under-owned relative to everything else. But what we really like is this idea of return of capital versus return on capital. So companies that have very good free cash flow and you find them across industries as well as a, a propensity to give that back to shareholders in dividends and stock buybacks, those are the names you want to own because they're inherently less volatile because they manage their own volatility. I mean, if you look at around the, the idea that you know, people put such a premium on profitability, going to this earnings season, right? Even Kramer said it. He goes, you don't want to be in unprofitable companies in this kind of a move lower. The cash flow side of things is interesting right now because it does mean that that return to capital is going to be a bigger part of, say, an investment advisor or an investor's thesis going forward. But does it matter if it's going to be dividend payouts or if it's just buying back shares? Or do you just care that the cash flow is going to be positive? So we would argue that there still is a preference for buybacks because the issue with dividends is if the yield curve is right, if all this exporting of softness from China and from Europe is going to turn us into a recession, you can't really go and decrease your dividend once you've made a commitment there. That's a very bad signal. With buybacks, you have the flexibility. You announce the program, you do it if it makes sense, you don't do it, you, you know, leave dry powder. So we think there'll be a premium for that kind of flexibility. All right, Julian Emanuel, Evercore ISI, thank you very much. Always great to have you here. Great. All right, so Dan Nathan, let's trade this around here first. We kind of got a few of the takes here from the table. Let's go out to you yeah. and SoCal. What do you think about what Julian Emanuel said? Is this really about return of capital versus return on capital? 
Well, it might be, and I, and I think the point about unprofitable companies in a different economic, a difficult economic environment and an uncertain, volatile market environment is one that you want to be very careful of. That being said, you know, with the stock market down about 10% over the last couple of weeks, I think the probability of a new low is much higher than what Julian is suggesting. Now, he goes with data. I go with gut. You guys know that. Um, no, but I just mean that I just think it's probably going to happen in the next couple of months. Then the question is, what do you do, right? If you have cash on the sideline, and just so you know, you guys were talking about this low volatility environment. A lot of hedge funds are really hedged up. I know a lot of people are, have cash waiting on the sideline, waiting to deploy it. And my trade, very simply, in the spring, when we were seeing all of these storm clouds, was Q and twos. I want to buy the QQQ. I want to average into that. And I also will want to buy U.S. Treasuries. If you're telling me by the end of this year, if we have an ugly economy and we have a market that is commensurate with it, you're going to want to start playing for a Fed, taking their pedal off the metal. I think Treasuries will rally. Yields will go lower. And you're going to want to own the QQQ because I think the same things that led us in the last leg of the bull market are going to be the same things that lead us to the next leg of the bull market here or if we go back into a bull market. So to me, Q's to that's where I do it. When the S&P makes new lows, I start dollar cost averaging there. All right, DCAs. Thanks, Dan. Nathan, we'll come back to you soon here. Coming up on the show, Europe's looming energy crisis as Russia cuts off gas supplies indefinitely. The economic fallout abroad and the market impacts here at home and abroad as well. Atlantic Council CEO Fred Kemp joins us now to break it all down, all those geopolitical risks, plus a significant deal. CBS scooping up Signify Health after a high-profile bidding war involving some mega-cap names. Details on that $8 billion acquisition coming up next, so don't go anywhere. Fast Money, the big show, is back in just two minutes. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. CVS Health is expanding its reach into home health care. And that market announcing the acquisition of Signify Health for $8 billion. That's a big deal. The all-cash transaction comes as shares of Signify rallied more than 45% in the last month as rumors of a deal started to circulate. And then there's other names, right? Amazon had been one of the reported bidders. So had United Health. That was in the mix as well. So if we look at the healthcare business, it has been at times a massive outperformer. But it's gone through the last few years as a pretty big underperformer, especially in biotech and certain other places. But this is not biotech. This is very much a play on the future of what healthcare looks like. So, Karen, mm-hmm. in, in your mind, is this Signify Health deal a game changer for a vertically integrating CVS Health? 
It's not a game changer. I mean, already CVS was integrating a lot of things. There's retail, there's pharmacy benefits there. Remember, they did the acquisition. So they've been remaking the business, but they're not the only ones trying to do that, right? We also have uh, Walgreens Boots, right, opening clinics. And so they're all trying to get into all the different parts of the business. I own CVS. It hasn't traded great, not terrible. But I don't know if this conglomerate will help. Often I find conglomerate, if you're hoping for a conglomerate uh, kind of premium, it's a discount. The one-stop shop. Right. I, I remember it, it didn't really work in banking for a while. They tried to do that for a while. But, but, but it's, it's where we're going in healthcare. And two and a half million uniques is what Signify brought to the table. And this is a chance for CBS to both have the virtual and the in-store in the lower end and, and the stuff that actually is changing in the same space that Amazon wants to be. So this deal was, was you know, over the last month we've known about this deal it was going to be a question of price. It's going to be a question of timing. And, and I think this is a great deal. If you look at what was going on with CVS's stock going into this, it's one thing to see what Signify did. But and you even look at a, Walbean, a Walgreens boots. I mean, these, these stocks have actually been under pressure over the last month or so as people have been questioning the multiple that they need to pay. But this secular dynamic for them, I, I think it's good news. So, so Guy, if, if you look at the way that CVS has kind of strategically placed itself with Signify, Walgreens is kind of doing the same thing. Amazon, you could argue, is mm -hmm. looking at that, that same tilt. If you were to look at the demographic play to play the long-term trend in healthcare, is it CVS? Is it Walgreens? Is it Amazon? Is it somewhere else, like an insurer? I mean, wh where, where do you think it is? Higher interest rate environment, I go to the insurers without question. This environment works for them. But I'll say WBA that Karen and Tim brought up, 10-year low in the stock. I mean, this stock has been grim death now for quite some time. That CareCentrics deal they just closed, I want to say, a week or so ago. This stock is going to get looking pretty interesting just on a technical basis and evaluation basis pretty quick. So I'm not saying they're going to be the winner, but if you're looking to play stock market here, that's the place I would go. All right, WBA, the call there from Guy Adami. There's a lot more to come on the show here for Fast Money, so here it is what's coming up. Europe's energy crisis. New cities locking down in China. The ripple effect on markets around the world next. Plus, shippers, streamers, and stretches. Three hints at the names in our Trader Triple Play. Which stocks could be a home run for your portfolio? Those calls ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Welcome back to Fast Money. Russia now cutting off energy supplies to Europe indefinitely. And the move has some saying this is Russia launching, quote, an energy war. Also weighing on Europe and the global economy as well, China's new lockdowns all across the country there. Here to break down what this means for markets and more beyond, CNBC contributor Fred Kemp. He's also the president and CEO over the Atlantic Council. You could call him an expert on all things geopolitics. So, Fred, let, let's talk about whether or not we should be worried because in many times over the last several decades, we've talked about geopolitical risks and they've seemed very dire in the moment. 
but they tend to boil over a little bit and then kind of fizzle out. So are we worried this time for sure? Uh, so uh, on the question of ge geopolitical risk, I think one has to see this as one of those inflection points uh, where a whole generation that follows will be influenced by the outcome of the war in Ukraine. And the war in Ukraine is going to be uh, influenced by how much the U.S. and Europe can stay together to support them. And that is now going to be influenced by energy markets, a cold winter, and the shutting down of, uh, of the, the pipeline, uh, Russia's major pipeline to Europe. We always knew at some point uh, Vladimir Putin would turn this into an energy war. What's happened this week is the worst case scenario has come to roost. The worst case scenario is now hit. Now, now we have to watch to see how it plays out. So, so what's interesting, Fred, is uh, the, the, the natural gas trade is arguably at the center of this because that's kind of what Nord Stream 1 is all about. It's about filling up those gasoline tanks all over Germany and continental Europe ahead of what could be a very cold winter. And they're not there yet. So the volatility both up and down, is it fair to say that this is the way it's going to be going forward? Or is there going to be at least expectations that are set around this idea that maybe the markets are getting a little bit more used to the idea that Russia can turn off and has turned off the energy supply? Uh, I, I, it's a terrific question, Dom, and I'll, I'll answer it in a little bit of a roundabout way. What you have right now is Russia betting that uh, Europe will not be able to stand the economic pain. It's already in recession. It already had an energy crisis before the war. All the war did was turn the energy crisis also into a geopolitical crisis. Uh, and so you have a situation where uh, Europe is divesting uh, uh, its reliance on Russia. It just hasn't got far enough. Russia is testing it, hoping it can break down the support for sanctions, hoping it can bring down actual governments, which it seems to have done in Bulgaria and, and, and drive populist politics in Europe, which it's tried to do before. From the Europe standpoint, the question is, can they maintain political unity? Can they stick together behind the sanctions uh, and get through, uh, a, a, as you said, it could be a cold winter. Forecasters are saying it's going to be a mild winter. Uh, you know, that would be a very uh, uh, merciful God if we get a, a very mild winter this year. But, if it, but it's certainly going to be a, a winter that tests a lot of countries, particularly Germany, which gets 55% of its natural uh, gas from Russia. So we are seeing the beginning of an European economic uh, 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 energy and geopolitical sh showdown of the sort we really haven't seen since uh, World War II. Fred, it's Tim. So Europe's turning, uh, Russia's turning off the European gas, but Europe's turning off the smelters. Europe's turning off their power prices. German power prices are up 8 or 9% in the last three days. Uh, what is your expectation of what this means for other commodity prices? And, and the, the perverse uh, kind of irony is that you could actually see commodity prices go higher as, as uh, capacity in industrial and smelters go way down. Well, bear with me. You did say in the beginning, I know a little bit about geopolitics. I know a little bit about economics. I, I don't know markets. I mean, if, if I understood markets, maybe I could explain to you why you know, oil prices uh, can uh, go up when it seems as though the demand supply equation doesn't, doesn't suggest they should do so. What I would say right now to look at is looking at something like nuclear energy and advanced nuclear stocks. You've seen uh, Germany make a decision recently to turn back on its three nuclear plants. 
Uh, I think this crisis is going to drive alternative energy sources, but there aren't many that can take as much of a load as nuclear can. So I think that's a place to invest. I think another area uh, that people will invest is uh, anything that can increase energy efficiency. Uh, Europe will not be able to replace all the energy it needs to replace this winter. So people are going to be looking about looking at how they can maintain their current lifestyles uh, uh, through greater efficiencies and using less energy uh, and looking at anything, any technologies and any services, any companies that can serve that outcome, particularly at Europe, because Europe really is the front line of what we're talking about. All right. Fred Kemp, Atlantic Council, thank you very much. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you. So let's trade it. Uh, Dan, Nathan, I, I don't know if it's just you or me or whatever, but all over my social feeds and, and even parts of my news feeds, I hear a lot more conversation these days around nuclear and other clean energy besides solar. Is it the same for you? And is this a place that you're keying more on these days because of it? Well, I, I'm more focused, at least the algo is, on Harry Styles in my feed there, Dom. <laughs> no, but I, th this is a serious situation. And then you have, a, you know, you have like Elon Musk saying that we need more, you know, fossil fuel output right now. It just seems like a bizarro sort of world as we think about energy and, and how we've kind of aligned ourselves. I'll just say this about that conversation, though, is like there's no easy fix for this because price caps on, on, on oil coming from the West or however you think about it, it's just more quantitative easing for all intents and purposes. It's very inflationary, only exasperates, I think, what's going on with the dollar here. And I think Tim said it earlier, the concern really does become sovereign, you know, some sort of sovereign debt crisis. And we remember what that felt like in the early part of the, you know, 2010s after the financial crisis. It was a rolling financial crisis. So I just don't think there's any easy fixes right now. And, you know, to me, I just don't know how we don't follow Europe into a recession in the not-so-distant future. Tim. Well, uranium, the great irony on this is uranium is, is as a trade is actually down from where we were before Russia invaded Ukraine. So uh, the dynamic around countries taking back on, whether it's uh, Germany or whether it's Japan, who's now re, re, you know, reunited eight new smelters or bringing back online smelters, uh, that, that's a very interesting trade. Europe, who's gas bill, their energy bill will be roughly eight, eight and a half percent of GDP. It used to be one and a half percent. This is a very big deal in terms of what you're talking about in terms of industrial output across many different industrial sectors. And I think it's something that you have to watch. But to me, look, we talk about this back to energy. Uh, energy is still four and a half percent or less of the S&P. At its peak, it was 16. These are trades that are going to continue to pick up weighting because these companies are run differently. All right. So speaking of that energy trade, we've got more on that. Don't miss a CNBC special. It's energy emergency. It's coming up right after this show, 6 p.m. Eastern time, right here on CNBC, talking about all the things we just did and more. Again, tune in 6 p.m. Eastern time tonight. Next up, buckle up. A high-powered IPO could be coming around the bend. What we should expect from the iconic luxury car brand Porsche coming up ahead. But first, three big movers from today's session. Our traders are laying out if these names are worth a second look. FedEx, Netflix, and Lululemon. Our trader triple play when coming up next when Fast Money returns after this break. You know that sound. It's a baseball. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's time for the trader triple play. Digging into three big stock movers in today's session. First up, we got FedEx. Shares falling more than 2%, as you can see there, after City Analyst downgraded that stock to a neutral rating from a buy. 
citing near-term macro headwinds that could eat into earnings growth. Guy, what is your take? Look, I've tried to make the argument for Federal Express a number of times. Just on valuation alone, they're going to earn, they should earn $25 next year. You start putting a 15 multiple, which is not a market multiple on it. You have a north of $300 stock. We haven't approached that literally forever in terms of the stock, and it continues to go upper left, lower right. I love the name. I understand the downgrade. I respect the downgrade. But into earnings on the 22nd, I, I think you want to own this stock. All right. FedEx is a buy, according to the guy. Let's talk about Netflix streaming lower in today's session. You get that. Shares are dropping almost 3.5% amid a broader streaming space sell-off. You could either call it media in general. Warner Brothers Discovery, Comcast, our parent company, also Paramount, all touching new 52-week lows just today. So, Dan, Nathan, what do you make of the Netflix trade? Yeah, well, I mean, I will say this, Dom, even though the stock is down 60-some percent on the year, down 77 percent at its lows from its highs made just last year, I mean, the stock shows good relative strength here. It's up 35 percent from its lows over the course of the summer. Q1 this year, they lost 200 subs. Q2 this year, they lost 1 million subs. Reed Hastings guided to maybe making back 1 million subs in Q3. That's really what it comes down to. They pushed forward, or at least pulled forward a little bit, the timing on this ad-supported model. This is going to add a lot of uncertainty, but I also think it's one of the reasons why the stock may still stay bid. And even if the NASDAQ goes back towards its lows, it may not make new lows. So this is one I want to add to, or I want to add a position of dollar cost averaging if it were to kind of head back with the market. 20 times next year, high single digits earnings and sales growth expected. Maybe you have a trough in subscribers uh, lost. This could be an unusual value to me. That's the thing I've heard, Tim, a lot from a lot of traders out there is the 20 to 23 times forward earnings at this point for a company like Netflix. Well, it, it, relative to itself, though, that's not too bad. When you think about and Dan's relative outperformance of the market, I mean, Netflix has outperformed the market in the last three months by about 15%. Granted, it wickedly underperformed. I, I just think uh, you have not really given them credit for any of the uh, password generation, additional income, or the ad-supported model. People look at this as a net negative. It, if anything, it's a net positive. And to me, on valuation, it, it's hard to get too excited about a company that's not growing like they used to be, even if it's less expensive than it used to be. I just think also the, the the media sector was outperforming the market aggressively last week. Comcast, Netflix, uh, a bunch of these names. I think they're giving it back on some of the cyclicality in the market. right now. All right. Now, finally, Lululemon leading the Nasdaq 100 today and stretching more than 4% <laughs> higher in a down tape. It's the second consecutive day of gains for the stock, which surged after reporting better than expected profits last Thursday. And Karen, this is a trade. This is a stock that you own. You still want to own it? I still want to own it, even though I'm a value girl. This hardly could be called a value. It is not cheap by any metric except the metric to of to itself exactly <laughs> and so you know at 30 or low 30 times earnings it's not cheap but this is an incredibly great company they run their business so well the margins are fantastic their pricing power is excellent they execute men's i don't know if you have any of those men's i do the yes. abc pants oh, the ABC i wear them yep. oh, what does that stand uh, for dom i don't i'm not going to say it i can't say it it's, it's cable but i still can't oh, say I, it. I don't know i'm just curious yeah tim brings it up uh, well once i mean you, you have pants yeah. you can't name you can't even put the see what they're abc one two three pants we'll just right. call yeah. them Sorry. Those, continue right? please yes. i apologize it's outstanding i mean i'm not going to sell it because it's rich because i think they just continue to execute they i give them the benefit of the doubt every time and that seems to be the right thing to do all right so so there's, there's the lulu we're going to stay on the retail side of things why don't we Sorry, sorry. So we're going to watch right now shares of Bed Bath & Beyond. They're down 20% again today. So, so the retailer is tapping its chief accounting officer, 
to fill in as its interim chief financial officer after the company's former chief financial officer, Gustavo Arnal, took his own life tragically last Friday. Now, over the last week, those shares for Bed Bath & Beyond have dropped around 40%. Uh, uh, Karen, they just had an investor day. They just laid out their strategic plan. They just got more liquidity. They got access to a revolver, a line of credit. They, they, they seem to be shoring things up. But there are analysts who still question whether or not they can fight the secular headwinds against their business model. Well, there, there is that. There's also their CFO is now not sat very tragically not there at a time that's so necessary. But there's also, I think today, some concern about why did he take his own life? Was there some sort of fraud or something involved? I hope that's not the case. I do think there's just a deep dive by J.P. Morgan and Sixth Street to before they made their investment. So, uh, I mean, it, it is just tragic, but I just, I don't know. I, I can't own it. It's, I hope they survive. All right, Bed Bath & Beyond, you can see they're down 18% right now on those shares. Uh, coming up on the show, we are calling now all car enthusiasts because Volkswagen is announcing a Porsche IPO plan. We'll bring you the details on what could become one of the world's largest public listings coming up this year. Plus, shifting gears. Get what I did there. Shares of Rivian electric today, but will it continue to drive higher from here? I'm just going to go full bore into the puns, all right? We'll dive into the options pits for that trade coming up next. Keep it parked right here. No, you didn't say that. I did. I did. Oh, See you after the break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Porsche is revving up to go public, which means we get to see tons of beautiful car video ahead. Roll that beautiful car footage. Robert Frank joins us now for the details of what could be Germany's largest ever IPO. Robert. Oh, Dom, beautiful car footage and a profit picture. Porsche aiming for a valuation of up to $85 billion dollars. That would equal the entire market cap of Volkswagen and would be twice the market cap of Ferrari. The bull case here is that Porsche, like Ferrari, is really a luxury brand, not a car company. Its margins are between 22 and 25%. That's massive for a car company. It only produces around 300,000 cars a year, but projecting sales this year of about 39 billion. The challenge for investors here will be governance. The Porsche family heirs, they're gonna keep control through a special class of shares that, that the non-voting shares are going to go to the public. On top of that, the CEO of Volkswagen, Oliver Bluma, he's going to also remain the CEO of Porsche, maintain, maintaining those dual roles. Now you've got recession fears, the energy crisis in Europe, and Porsche switched EVs all also hanging over the stock. Now Ferrari is seen as the model here. That stuck, uh, stock up about three and a half times since it went public in 2015. It's down about 26%. But guys, I remember that Tim Seymour, I think, was bullish on Ferrari right when they went public. He turned out to be very right on that. I'm curious what he thinks of this Porsche valuation. Well, it, it, they deserve a multiple here, uh, certainly relative to the competition. What I'll say about the Ferrari IPO is fascinating, and, and they hold their value. And, I, Robert, you know this in the secondary market. Ferrari's where they're trading. Uh, and the scarcity value and their ability to control production and control, truly control the brand, I think is what separates Ferrari. Uh, but I think this is going to do phenomenally well. They, look, the high, high end right now uh, is doing fine, and, and I think there's always going to be that market for these cars. All right, so, uh, Robert Frank, thank you. Thank you very much for that. Let's trade it because Tim already opened the door for it. Mm. 
this is all about EVs. These luxury brands are all going all EV in the next 10 years, let's call it, right? So when it comes to branding, Ferrari's out there. We know Maserati's got that path coming up. Porsche's going to go public. It's going pretty much all EV going forward. If you were to make a call on the brand on the car side that you would want to be in today, knowing where the path is, Guy, where would you be? Ford. I think, that, yeah, I mean, I think they're doing a great job. Now, the stock doesn't indicate that, but to answer the question, Ford, in terms of Porsche, you have to wonder, you know, if you're a 60-year-old dude driving a Porsche, you have to wonder what you're compensating for. I'm looking at you, Joe Kernan, right there. We can play that film if we have it. But, no, the answer to the question is Ford without question. The stock is too cheap here, and I think that's the winner going forward. All right, so now, sticking with autos, shares of Rivian are jumping more than 3.5% today. Now, just last week, the company canceled production on what would have been its cheapest electric trucks and SUVs. This means you will not be able to get your hands on one of those cars for less than $70,000 a piece. Options traders are betting that potential customers will be willing to pony up that cash to buy a Rivian at $70,000 a piece. Mike Coe joins us now to break down a ton of the bullish action on the options side for Rivian. Mike. Yeah, Rivian was uh, one of the top 25 busiest single stock options today. We saw a lot of bullish flows. We saw more than two times as many calls as puts trade on nearly two times the average daily call volume. And the busiest of those was the weekly 35 strike calls. Buyers of those are betting that the stock is going to be up more than 7%. They spent just under 50 cents for over 33,000 of those. The 34 strike calls were the second busiest option. And they're making a similar type of a bet. All right, Mike Coe with the options action there on Rivian shares. Again, 3.5% upside, very busy trading for options. For more on the options action that Mike just referred to, be sure to tune into the full options action show Fridays, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time right here on CNBC. Coming up on the show, Apple's big iPhone event is kicking off tomorrow. So what does Tim Cook have up his sleeve for this particular launch? What you might expect coming up next. Plus, don't miss an exclusive interview. With Starbucks founder Howard Schultz and incoming Starbucks CEO Laxman Najman tomorrow, 8.30 a.m. right here on CNBC. The Squawk Box team already on top of that big interview. Stick around. We've got much more on Fast Money in just two minutes. Welcome back to the big show, Fast Money. We are counting down to tomorrow's big Apple event. Those shares are down a percent ahead of that event today. In its first in-person launch since the pandemic, the tech giant is set to unveil the iPhone version 14. It's the newest edition, by the way, for that. And then the newest edition of the Apple Watch and possibly a virtual reality headset and hardware subscription service. That all kicks off tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern time, 10 a.m. Pacific. We're also expected to hear from CEO Tim Cook at the Code Conference out in Beverly Hills tomorrow night. And that's where our own very own Dan Nathan is right now. That's where you've been seeing him all show with that pretty shot in the background. It is Beverly Hills. Dan, what's the buzz like on the ground in California out there about Apple's big event coming up tomorrow? Yeah, so I mean, listen, we know the drill here. You know, the phones are likely to be iterative. We all know that. You don't have to come to a conference to kind of figure that out here. But I think the big news is really that hardware subscription and the idea of kind of smoothing out those product cycles and getting people to pay a recurring fee for that. And then the idea of also kind of adding on a bunch of services, right? So to me, that's going to be the big news for that. As far as the mood out here, I think it's generally 
pretty optimistic. That's kind of the Silicon Valley way. I know we're down here in LA, but generally I think a lot of these private market investors tend to be a lot more optimistic than some of our brethren um, out there on Wall Street, especially when you see the sort of devastation we're seeing in a lot of public tech stocks right now. But I'll be back tomorrow, Dom, and I'm going to have a lot more from here. All right. So, so, so at the code conference, I mean, Apple's obviously a big topic of discussion, Dan. If you look at the slate coming from the code conference, yeah. who, who are you most excited to kind of hear from with that big slate yeah. of speakers they got in the next couple of days here? Well, I think Andy Jazzy, you know, the CEO of Amazon, is going to be really interesting. We were talking about some of the relative strength of some of the mega cap tech stocks. This is one that had a monster rally. I think it was up 50% from its June lows, had a report that I obviously kind of turned the tide, at least as far as investor sentiment. So I think more Jazzy out there in front of investors in the tech community is going to be a good thing for that um, stock. And then also really interesting to see uh, Tim Cook and Johnny Ive here and talk about product roadmap. Possibly they don't say much about it, but the fact that Johnny Ive will be here, he still kind of, I think, consults a little bit on the design. And I think a lot of hardcore Apple fans want to see some really cool new hardware products that they have not gotten really since AirPods or the watch. All right. It's a, it's a big deal coming up here for a lot of big speakers over the Code Conference. So, so that, Dan, thank you for the update there. Sticking with technology, you don't want to miss Snap CEO Evan Spiegel live from that Code Conference. And then Box CEO Aaron Levy tomorrow morning right here on CNBC. The Squawk on the Street and Tech Check Gangs have all of the big names covered down there. They'll be broadcasting live from there tomorrow and this week here. Coming up next after on this show, your final trades. Time now for final trades. Let's go around the horn. Dan Nathan. Yeah, Rivian to 40. Rivian to 40. Tim. Airlines, we talked last week. I think those numbers are going higher. All right, Karen. Seems counterintuitive, but I sold some S&P puts today. Ooh, I like that. Guy Adami. You have more fun on this show than any other show. Dami. Just say it. Yes or no? I have fun. I like being here. Than any other show. Ford, letter F. All right, there it is there. Thanks for watching Fast Money. We've got a CNBC special energy emergency. It's coming up, and it starts right now, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.